0: From GrooveU Studios in Columbus, Ohio, this is Getting the Brand Back Together, a podcast exploring the interdisciplinary art of banding, branding, and business building. Rock and roll relic, poet, writer, and brandist, I'm your host, Brad Circoni. Our guests today, Jay Borman and Sarah Zimmerman, co-conspirators of a wonderfully unique brand called Merciful Thieves. I'm very grateful for them coming on. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for being on. Really appreciate it.
1: We're always on.
0: Yes, but (laughs) on the show. Oh, yes. Got it. (laughs) And this is also the first time we've had two guests simultaneously uh, on a given episode, and it was a lot of fun. The conversation was very compelling. Of course, because of the duration, we're going to be splitting this one into two episodes. First, a mutual friend of ours connected us. Yep. And so, I did what everybody does, and I went and uh, looked up you guys and saw the name Merciful Thieves, and I said, have to meet these people that would name an agency Merciful Thieves. So, tell us, because I know I don't want to guess where the hell the name (laughs) came from.
1: We used to travel a lot. Uh, We still do, but we used to travel a lot for um, our previous gig at Express. Yes. And every time we were in the airport at a restaurant, people would come up to us and they'd say, hey, are you guys in a band? And we would be like, no, we're, we're you know, we're in fashion or whatever. And then <laughs> we... Uh, one, then we
2: finally gave in. And we said, yeah,
1: we're in a band. And people were like, oh, what's your band? And we're like, oh, we haven't thought that far ahead. And one day we were in Venice, as, in California. As, <laughs> as, as designers should be. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we were in Venice, California um, at a place in on Abbott Kenny Boulevard there and they had a drink called merciful Thieve. And we were like, that's our band name. Yeah. So from then on, when people asked us, you know, are you guys in a band? We were, Confidently, we said yes. Merciful thieves.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, So you you
1: held on to this.
0: I'm sorry, Sarah. uh,
2: But I mean, it it, it gets even better. Like, right? We 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 made up our own album. (laughs) Of course. And and we have um we have a theme song. And people would be like, Oh, I've heard it. And can we buy you a drink? And we'd be like, Yeah, sure. And then we're sitting at Brewdog, and they're like, Hey, are you guys are you guys performing tonight? We're like, Yeah. Yeah. I need a scotch on the water. 7.30 (laughs) on, uh, you know, making up places that we would pre-perform. They would go, hey, see you later.
1: That's great. Yeah,
2: it continued.
1: Yeah, our uh, album's name was Eight Minute Vacation. Yeah, good. Very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought you guys might
0: even get into specifics such as… You know, we sold this many units, and we're now on our third record. You yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't do anything like that. You no. didn't go to the deep dark right. where once I the, would go. Once
1: the drinks were bought for us, we right. felt no need to keep the ruse up. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> that makes
2: sense. Understood. You, know, well, you got I, I, I to leave when you're on the high. Oh,
0: I know that. You, I think the name is great for an agency.
1: Yeah. So, it's funny because when we decided to form an agency together— it was just hands down. We never even had to talk about it. We were just merciful thieves. And it's funny because we were talking to another buddy of ours who owns an agency and he was just like, man, this is so perfect. And he was going into this whole kind of deep thing about like, you know, because as a client, you know, you were getting the most out of them and you're kind of thieving and blah, blah. And we're like, we wish we thought that much into it, but we just like had identified ourselves as that already. So that was it.
0: All right. that It's a great name though, really. Yeah, thanks. It is. It's cool. So, so many things to talk about. And I also love that your positions are co-conspirators. I think um, that's clever and true at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Let me jump into a little bit of background that we were talking about prior to coming on the show here. And that is, if you could share a little bit, uh, both of you, um, about your background and and Jay, you specifically, we were talking a little bit, and you said, "Well, you know, my real interest was you had this infatuation, and you know, the idea of being a toy designer was something that was in your head when you were when you were getting your industrial design degree, uh, degree at CCAD, correct? Yep,
1: that's right.
0: Then I know you had a, a path before you both landed at Express, and then you um, carried on from that." to Merciful Thieves today, but why don't you uh, start off, Jay, and then Sarah, you could follow up. But give us a little background about what you were doing prior to Express and Merciful Thieves.
1: Yeah, sure. So, like you said, I was uh, uh, at CCAD. I got into industrial design because my heroes when I was in high school and before were Phil Tippett and Dennis Murren and John Dykstra, all these guys who worked on Star Wars and founded Industrial Light Magic, they had degrees in industrial design. I didn't really know what industrial design... But you had to have one. Yeah. I was just like, if Phil Tippett has this, then I must have this. (laughs) And so, I found the school in Ohio that had an industrial design program and it was CCAD. Yeah. Um, And so went there and, you know, really had decided that like movie special effects were moving into computers. I think I told you this when- You didn't want to do animation. I didn't. And so when Jurassic Park came out and everyone was cheering, I was crying because right. I, was, I saw that was the future of, of movie special effects. Right. And I was just kind of like, oh my God, I want to build physical things. Right. And so toys were an outlet for that. Um, so when I was at CCAD, every project, was a toy. So, even when I would get an assignment of, like, build a toaster, right? I just created a toy, and I would present <laughs> this toy, and the professor would be like, this this isn't the project. And right. I would just be like, yeah, I know. I'll take my C. Right, like, exactly. All good. Because you were really filling up your portfolio. Uh, that's right. Because you
0: were going to get in the design business that's of right. toys.
1: And I always really thought I would just go down to Cincinnati and get a job at Kenner. And right. that was kind of, like, my thought process. Right. And. It was, I was so kind of obnoxious about this that um, the dean actually called my dad and was like, Is there something medically wrong with your son that he won't listen to us? You know, I mean, and, and what was his response? Did he, he have a response? Not, not that I know of. I mean, okay. he just called me and he was just like, Hey, uh, you know, Dean Grant called me and like, what's going on down there? And, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And it was fine. I mean, I just, he knew. Like, right, he knew right. what I wanted to do. And, well, you also
0: had shared with me, which I'd love you to share with the audience, that you and your brother, because you guys, are you identical twins? We
1: are, we're identical twins, yeah. Okay,
0: so you you said that your mom would sometimes say, you know, why can't you guys just play sports yeah. instead <laughs> of collecting toys and packaging and redesigning your bedroom?
1: That's right, yeah, I did tell you that. Yeah, so when we were, I was probably like fifth grade or so. Yeah. And, you know, when most kids were like transitioning into like playing sports and stuff like that, my brother and I just had this fascination with the toy aisle at JCPenney or Toys R Us or whatever. So we would recreate toy aisles and toy stores in our room. Uh-huh. We like drilled holes in the wall and mm-hmm. we put dowel rod pegs.
0: Of course you did. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then we would have packaged action figures I mean, that we bought. What I'm saying is if you're going to do it, <laughs> you've <laughs> got to do it right. And so it was truly our, our room was like a toy store. But what... a but- <laughs> See, I think that can be packaged and sold. I mean,
0: I'll I'll find investors for that. Yeah. A mobile toy store, right? Yeah, they have mobile home offices now. You can buy; they're like nine hundred bucks. That's right. We can do a mobile Come toy create store.
2: Create a toy store with my son's room that's for right. only right yeah. twenty thousand
1: dollars. <laughs> I like it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I, uh, I at the kind of my senior year of CCAD, I had this portfolio. At the time, I thought it was awesome. You look back now and it's like, wow, that's shit. But, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, there was a startup toy company called Resaurus. that yes. was a local to Columbus. And,
0: but tell the audience why it was named. Very clever. They're not around anymore. No, right? they're not. Okay. Yeah. And it, you told me about the decline, but I want you to tell the audience why they're named Resaurus.
1: Yeah. So they were the your resource for dinosaurs. And they it's were- It's the
0: etymological play on words. That's right.
1: <laughs> and so they- um, they were mainly focused on educational toys, mm-hmm. but they were there was a lot of dinosaur related stuff. So there's enough there that was like interesting to me, mm-hmm. um, and there was a portfolio review. All the you know, students at CCAD, the seniors like kind of had their portfolios out. Sure. And this guy, unbeknownst to me, had this startup toy company. He was looking for a designer and he came around and looked at people's portfolios filled with toasters and white noise machines. And he got to mind, he's like, this is all toys. And I said, yep, I want to be a toy designer. He goes, how soon can you start? And that and was it. That was it. And I said, well, I got to finish school first. He goes, all right. So I graduated on a Saturday and my first day was a Monday. And, um, you know, kind of went from there. And that's how I got into toys.
0: That is unbelievable. And so, you guys, uh, you, you start doing that. And then, um, you know, you were talking about uh, some of the things that you did in creating uh, action heroes.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: And you guys created an action hero, obviously, from, I think it was Duke Newcomb,
1: right? Duke it is. Nukem thing, right? It was Duke Newcomb. Yeah. And you sold 1 million. 1 million units. So, we went, to, we were a small company right and so how I, many employees well at this point there was 4 <laughs> there was there was the three founders and me okay <laughs> so technically there was only one employee there was one employee <laughs> and i had convinced them that like hey we should get into action figures because I wanted to do that. But sure. I was like, there's a market here. And, and for video games. Yeah. So we, what basically what happened was we looked at a bunch of different licenses and everything was super expensive. Right. And so we went to E3, yep. which is like the video game convention. And we started talking to people about games and how maybe we could license games to do action figures. And since no one was doing that at the time, they were nobody cared, right? Right. So they they were, all overlooked the obvious. Yeah. So they were just kind of these. These. They're like, wait, you want to pay us to make characters? And we're like, yeah. Yeah. And like, here you go. <laughs> and so we got into some really cheap licenses that had recognition, mm-hmm. but it was certainly nothing like Spider Man or right. Star Wars right. or anything. But that you said Hasbro at the time, right? Yeah. Has right. Hasbro. Um, they had just bought Kenner. So they got, they absorbed the Star Wars license. So now Hasbro had G.I. Joe and Star Wars. And He-Man was gone by that point. So it was like- So you
0: were looking for low-hanging fruit. We were. To exploit as a brand. Yep. And make a little money for a startup.
1: And I kind of was really wanting to prove to these founders that like we can make money at action figures. Little did I know our first one right out the gate was going to sell a million units. Like that was a freaking accident. Right. Um, But- convinced them like, holy crap, we can do this. So within, I'd say six months, um, I had 17 people I went to school with working for me because they were like, we got to grow our creative team. And I was like, I know just the people. (laughs) So we brought in all these people that didn't, we'd just come out of school. We had passion, but we'd never really done this before. And there probably
0: wasn't much strategic direction,
1: right? No, 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 not at all. Um, and so, but it
2: wasn't like a job. You guys were just hanging out and <laughs> was, together and drawing yeah, shit. That
1: was pretty much <laughs> and sculpting stuff. So it was, yeah. How did I work? It was, it was it was fun, and it it was one of those things where it was like three years later. I'm like, holy crap! I've never taken a day off, not even a weekend off. I love this so much Right, because it
0: wasn't a job.
1: But the founders kind of wanted to do some different things. The internet started exploding. They started you know, going into different directions. The company folded. So my brother and I and one other guy started a company called Plan B Toys.
0: It, Which was your plan B, but it was only a hobby, right? That's that's, that's right.
1: right. Yeah. I mean, it was it well, it was something that we were like, this is how we're gonna make a living. Um, but we really kind of saw it as the hobby part of it was we're going to make our own action figures and stuff like that, but we're gonna work freelance for bigger companies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so We did that for a long time, um, probably about seven years or so. And the toy industry started taking a big decline. Basically, Walmart became the number one toy retailer. It put the whole industry on its head. Toys R Us, everyone, you know, changed their strategy. And And you
0: said, we were talking yesterday, Amazon swallows Toys R Us. And Toys R Us is only buying things that Walmart's carrying, so... That's right. So The entire topography is ruined.
1: That's right. And so, I found myself um, with a buddy hiking around Mount Rainier on the Wonderland Trail, complaining about the toy industry. (laughs) And, you know, there are so many hikers (laughs) who do that. And he said, hey, I've got a freelance gig at this fashion brand express. If you want to, next time we need help, I'll see if the art director will call you. Right. And so go back home working on this licensed property called Ladder 49. It was a movie that starred John Travolta. I was painting a prototype of John Travolta's head and the phone <laughs> rang and it was this guy, Doug Fott, who was an art director at, at, Express. Uh, at Express. And he said, we Hey, Doug. yeah, <laughs> Doug's awesome. And he said, Hey, um, I heard you're a freelance graphic designer. Um, You know, can you do window design? And I'm like, hey, I'm an expert at window design. (laughs) (laughs) That's a stupid question. And so I put John Travolta's head down and (laughs) went and got dressed and went to Express. And it effectively ended my toy career because I got excited and, you know, yeah. about going into fashion
0: and… So, fashion killed the toys, really.
1: For me, yeah. It did. So, that was kind of how I got into fashion and got into Express. Okay. And… And Sarah… You
2: had had this lifelong dream of becoming a, a fashion person. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. <laughs> you used the phrase to me earlier about a retail dog.
2: I am a retail dog. Uh, unlike Jay, I was born to be in fashion. <laughs> I was I didn't acquire it. Um, no, but I loved I, I love retail, right? I was yeah. um, I majored in fashion. I, I couldn't wait to work for a retailer. I, I had this interview, my first job with Macy's as a freelancer. and um, and at the time that was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was in I was in outside Chicago with my family and, mm-hmm. and I had to go they called me for an interview and my dad sent me with a one way ticket. Of course. <laughs> and so I I had to get the job. And uh, I managed to get the job. And I was too designing windows and doing oh, you were. visual merchandising. Yeah. yeah. And that's that was my start. Okay. So if you can only imagine, when Jay and I met and somebody looks at us and says, Hey, can you hang that from the ceiling and make it blink and spin? We were like, yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, we can do that.
2: So, yeah, I mean, when you put a little initiative like your, your one-way ticket, you'll figure out how to get home if you don't right, have a job, right, right. Right, right? I think that's like something we share. Yes. Um, we've had a lot of fun getting into trouble mm-hmm. doing stuff like that.
0: Good, good. That's what creativity, that's that good kind of trouble, whether it's politics or creativity, that's good trouble. Right? Yeah. Right. So, and you also had stints at Limited, Gap. Right.
2: Yep. Uh, yep. That's after what, that. that's
0: what defines the dog after retail.
2: Right. Corporate America, retail, fashion. Right. Right. And I came to, I came to Express as, just as Jay, um, we were both freelancers mm-hmm. and that's, that's, that's how we met.
0: And then uh, Jay, you were there for 17 years, which would have put you, Sarah, there at Express for 13 or so. Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. Okay, and so uh, both started as well. We'll just say high-end window dressers, yeah, yeah. totally, yeah, or freelancers, right. if you will. And then Jay, at the height of Express, you're a VP of Creative, and Sarah, you're the Creative Director of Brandon and, and Fashion Editor, correct?
2: Correct. And how we got there was just by volunteering for projects. Really? You know, like they would say, "Hey, we're gonna do a roadshow for our investors. Can you guys? Can you guys handle it?" <laughs> and we would put up a small stores in in like cities and 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 create an experience that people would under that the investors would get like what express was doing and what they were moving forward with and had a crap
1: ton of fun yeah, yeah.
0: that's awesome and all the travel and all right. the experiences together yeah. right yeah. i would
1: i would say that i to characterize our stint at express i would say we started off as freelance and then accidentally became ran the place yeah yeah, yeah i mean it was yeah. just like it was, you know, in terms of the creative, it was no by no design, I think, for either of us to be like climbing the corporate ladder. Right, we sure. loved the the creativity and the doing. Mm-hmm. But you know, as Sarah said, we start into some of these like high-profile projects that have a lot of executives around and you make them look good. And they're like, wow, these guys are pretty good. Yeah, keep those two. And so, <laughs> exactly. you know, it was just one of those things too where, I mean, I remember my CMO, she came in, she called me into her office and she goes, hey, look, I really need something from you. And I was just like, what's well, that? Well, first she,
0: of all, Jay, did she
1: shut the door? She did. Okay, see, that's when she, you know it's- She shut the it's door. It's double secret. Well, she goes- <laughs> I need uh, I need you to take this position as director of creative. I know you don't want it, but like I, I you're the guy. I just want you to. And I, I fought her. I didn't want promotion. No, no. She,
0: <laughs> she had to talk you in
1: pretty much. Yeah, yeah. impose upon you pretty your much. work. That's right. And so <laughs> it was just like okay. And when that happened, it <sighs> moved, at least me into a more of a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my past experience kind of leading my team in toys, and then even as goofy as it is, even Boy Scouts mm-hmm. and kind of learning leadership there, mm-hmm. it, it kind of prepared me a little bit to where you mentally have to say, okay, I'm no longer doing the stuff. That's I right. now have to be really happy when other people do the stuff yes. that I help facilitate. And, and
0: how hard for both of you being creatives, I know how hard that is. Yeah. To let go of that first inspiration. How hard was that I guess, Sarah, for you, as you moved up, how hard was it to let go sometimes of that?
2: You know, um, it just kind of—I don't know if you ever let go of it, but I do think it transfers. Mm-hmm. I do think that we also we also built really strong teams, mm-hmm. and um, and this might even just be kind of cliche, but it was really great to see them succeed. Yes, right, no, absolutely. To see the and to see um, the people that worked for us or our our guys like grow and be mm-hmm. and and do creative, cool things and find a um, and find their talents mm-hmm. and skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of good in that too.
0: I agree. And it's like being a you know, proud creative parent in a way, right?
2: Yeah, it was harder to deal with your age than it was to <laughs> deal with
0: the, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about for you letting go, Jay?
1: Yeah. So it um also super hard. Again, coming from a background of of making literally making things, yeah, right? right? Um and you know, being thrust into that place where it's like okay, now you got to like, you facilitate this and lead. There's a couple things that happen. One thing that for me, because of my toy career, I spent a lot of time in Hong Kong and China. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of a language barrier. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself having to be really strong and clear with my intent. Uh, And I- What a great point. And I found that that even transcended the language barrier. Absolutely. And so when I came into a leadership role- Very quickly, it became apparent, like, I need to be very strong with my intent and very decisive. Mm -hmm. Because even during the creative process, you know, sometimes you find different things and it's like, hey, this would be cooler. It's like, yeah, but can we turn 54 people from this to this in two days? I don't know if we can.
0: So we're not going to do it.
1: Yeah. So you have to kind of maintain your edit point and you have to kind of maintain your intent. Because otherwise, your team scatters, you know.
0: I love that. And um, as you guys are talking, you know, it's so funny. Artistically, I come from a music background, but really a writing, a poetry background. And it's the same process, whatever that creative medium is. And it's very hard to let go. But once you understand that there's power in the intention to direct others... Yeah, so that they can carry it further. Oftentimes, I find it be- I call it like a beautiful humility because then they do it to a level that you said. Well, I didn't even say that. <laughs> totally. in my intention.
1: <laughs> totally, but you're the
0: genius now. <laughs> totally. Do I have to pay you more? So it, I, I, can I
2: can I tell my favorite line? Yeah, one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, go for it. So
2: we uh, Jay in corporate America. You know, sometimes when teams win, they say, "Oh, well, then you should get your guys some pizza." Or you know something <laughs> like that. And Buffalo some,
0: Wild Wings cards.
2: Some some and one of the another vice president turned to Jay and he said, "Are you getting your team donuts?" And he goes, "Donuts? They don't want donuts. They want clear leadership." <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs>
2: Now you yeah. guys
0: should have agency t-shirts that say that.
1: <laughs>
0: Just so now, you can both look at them. Now our yeah.
2: agency t-shirt is fail harder. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. That's
0: good. That's great. Well, one thing we were talking about regarding creativity and teamwork is, um, Jay, you had related to me a story that when the Express Creative team was traveling, working on projects, that you would land back here in Columbus, Ohio probably late and tired after being weeks on the road doing uh, strategy and research for design, you said that you would wait at the uh, airport for all the your team members, part of your team, to come through Yep, to make sure they were okay. And that moved me. Uh, number one, it's rare. But number two, it moved me back to my day. I mean, I spent seven years on the road in the back of a fruit truck, right? Before the record company said, oh, here's a bunch of money. Sir Coney, you can now have a bus, but all you did at night from destination point A to point B was check on, now I'm going to use this term, but you're going to tell the story. Sure. Check on the Rangers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check on the rest of the troop. Yeah. And that became, I think our creative bond became stronger because of that kind of, the two words that I would use is respect and discipline for one another made, when, when when I did fail at st- strategy or intention or my creative input, say leading the band or leading brands later, it was okay because they, had, they knew I had their back. Yeah, for sure. So tell that story when you um, about how you would wait for them. And I think uh, one lady stopped you and said, asked you point blank, why the hell do you do this? Well, you've got to be as tired as we are. And you...
1: Yeah. Like you said, we were coming off of a a trip, and I had always seen that when people come off these planes, w- even like other people on other teams, everyone just scattered. Yeah, I know it's a weird thing. You just you almost pretend like you don't know each other anymore because we're off the plane, and it's yeah, like, and don't
0: speak to me. It's yeah. one in the morning,
1: and so we were getting off a of plane, and somebody, that person, is right here. Sarah came up to me, and because awesome. I was, I didn't know that I was standing there waiting, and she yeah. said, she said. How come you always wait for us? And I said, Rangers don't leave Rangers behind. Right. And right. it was this, you know, I, I study military history and I have yeah. an interest in it. And part of the US Ranger creed is, you know, you never leave a fallen comrade behind. Right. Essentially, Rangers don't leave Rangers behind. Right. And from then on, we kind of took that
2: mm-hmm.
1: as, you know, our team was our Rangers and it spread. It was contagious. Yeah. And everyone and, did and so, that then. And, okay. So let's
0: first I want to I, I want to ask why, but first here I want to ask you when he said Rangers don't leave Rangers behind, what went through your brain?
2: I mean, I just knew somebody had my back. Right. Always. Right. Right. And and like that's the reason it spread because you always knew everybody on the team knew that they weren't alone. Right? Right? And they weren't going to be left behind and and you know, I also think that, you know, there's also that I know this is crazy, but sometimes those leaders or the higher-ups sit in the front of the bus and the front of the plane, and they get off first, and they just leave. And for somebody to, like, say, hey, is everybody here? Are we all together? Are we um, all—yeah, we all have the same mission here. It doesn't matter whether you're taking—I mean, if you're together on the beginning of the trip, you have to be together on the end of the trip,
0: too.
2: right, right, right. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's great.
2: Yeah, it was just, and it spread. Like, I mean, somebody, if we were working late at the office, like finishing up something, somebody from our team would go, you need any help? And we'd be like, we're good. Go. And he goes, nope, Rangers don't leave Rangers. And suddenly they'd sit down and, you know, it'd be like, they'd stay late too. And we'd finish up a little sooner. Mm -hmm. Right. Or they had, they were brought into the project and had, more intel into what we were working on and what their next day or next week was going to be look, look like. And, you know, they were all, they all love that.
0: Yeah. I just have to tell you from too many years in the banding business and more years in the branding business, that's a rarity. That kind of, first of all, it's beyond just loyalty, right? Because the task is over. Yeah. But I'm still here by your side. Yeah. That's the romanticism of that. And, you guys have worked for obviously major companies and major brands. You know what um, leadership teams will pay to create that. And it doesn't work. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's right. You can't fake it. doesn't that. work. That's exactly. the
2: problem. They're faking it. Right. Unless you really believe it and you it doesn't know, do you any
0: good. No. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about is it builds this unspoken momentum that's, between the team. That's right. And so the next intention you make or the next direction you give or the next strategy meeting you have they already have a foundation the team already has a foundation and belief that amplifies that next intention and they almost build upon one another. That's right. For sure. You yeah. guys agree. You yeah, know?
1: we do. And not only that, but there is a when when it when the synergy's starting like that mm-hmm. and the infection spreads, right, of good intention, um what ends up happening is people start I see it as they kind of want to take those good intentions to the next level.
0: Right. That's what I mean. They they, they always
1: kind of want to one up each other on like making sure that they're showing support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and what happens is when we found this in the creative or in the corporate environment, as our team kind of coalesced into this like amazing unit that was watching out for each other. Almost everyone else in the corporate environment was looking out for only themselves. Right. And so, well, it probably intimidated them a little bit. Yeah. So we were able to push through a lot of stuff because, you know, we had, we, you know, two is stronger than one and three is stronger than one and four is even stronger. It just, you know, and when we're able to efficiently and effectively, you know, meet these objectives that are put placed in front of us. You know, it did intimidate people, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't have that as an intention. In fact, we we really hoped that it would, in, in kind of spread into other departments. But you know, it didn't become a contagion like that. It it really didn't. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say like, yes, it's a, it was amazing. But the fact is, there's, um, I think, creative people have a different way of viewing the world, and. Yeah, you, know, you use the word one time, romanticize yeah. or romanticism, and yeah. I think no yeah. matter what, if you're a creator at heart, there is some level of a uh, romantic notion of yes. what of what the world should be and what you know your your role in the world should be, and so that's not the same type of a mindset as say somebody in a finance role typically has. Right. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but they usually are just much more objective, much right. more. Tactical. Boom, boom, boom. The numbers don't lie. This and that. I'm great at the skill of moving these numbers around. Yeah. But they never probably see themselves late at night writing by candlelight their next, you know, sonnet. Right. Whereas I think every copywriter sits down at their computer and somewhere in their head they think that they are doing that.
0: Yes, exactly right. You know, yeah, I I agree entirely. And, you know, I used to tell, we, we were so bad as a band, but I would tell the bandmates, it doesn't matter. All we have to do is build a brand. We can learn to play later. That's right. And so sometimes I would like Paul Simonon, the, the bass player of The Clash, they knew they were going to hire him because he was so handsome. It didn't matter if you play the bass or not. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? We got a brand to build here, not a band. So uh, I knew it would take us years to be proficient enough to play a guitar or drums. So why not look great yeah. as we get our degree, yeah. right, if you will? Yeah. Our road degree. So I would, always, I would always say to them, we don't go out there until we look great. Because that way, even when we fail, it'll feel heroic. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And so we used to try to purposely intimidate other bands by just our look. Yeah. But my story about, hey, are you guys a rock band? And you guys invented the name of the rock band. Mine is much more humbling than that. (laughs) We are in a Ponderosa from your hometown. Because we used to play in Youngstown, Ohio all the time at a place called Cedar's Lounge. oh, You know it. It's gone now.
1: Uh, You can't prove that I know it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I know Cedar's. Okay. And it's gone.
0: Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Okay. So, we used to play there and… It
2: could have been the name. Is that the reason they're gone? That's kind of a bad name.
0: So, we used to eat one meal a day. This went on for like seven years. I think our stipend a week was 80 bucks a person. Wow. That's what we lived on. No home. And you do the best you can. But we would spend, we would save our money to sometimes go to the Ponderosa in Youngstown. And we walked in and we got our little clanky plates, you know, that make that horrible volume of sound when you pick them up. I don't know what, what, the thing cannot decompose. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So you pick up that cheap plastic thing, you pay your seven bucks or six bucks. And this very um, uh, shy uh, lady would come over to our table, same woman every time we were there and we were always in black leather jet, black on black on black, right? The more black, the better. And she said, I've been waiting to say this, but, um, I've seen you guys back here and I know who you are. And I, and I said, uh, that's great. I don't give any names. Yeah, She goes, I can't believe you two's at my table.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I said, this is why we're playing the Cedars. That's wow. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, so we, yes. were, we were mistaken, but I don't know what that means. I felt a little <laughs> bit more Irish. But my point is that we went through that together. To your point is the ranger and ranger concept, right? You don't leave one behind. And there's a certain momentum that builds. By having this mentality, mm-hmm. and that was that momentum that got us to the next level. Our talent did get better. I mean, I now hear some of the licks. I know you said you, but you downloaded the first record last night and ran to it this morning. I did. Thank you for that. Twelve cents. Yes. You're but um, uh, on the second record, I'm actually I listen to my cousin who's a guitar player playing, and I say, "Wow, I, I was actually honored enough to be in a band with that. That guy's got chops. Nice." Right? So I'm sure you guys saw that in your careers with those that you mentored for that long at Express, and you'll continue. I'm sure, I'm sure you see it even in the agency world where you're crossing paths now. But the one thing I wanted to talk about was I asked you before the podcast, and I'd like both of you to speak to this, that in your roles as creative director of brand and fashion editor and VP of creative, that's not only the corporate brand Express that you're doing that for, but also how that affects the decision-making of fashion designers, and the fashion side of Express as well, correct? That's right. Sure. So could you tell me how your two roles worked? I'm very, very interested, Sarah, when you said fashion, creative direction and fashion editor. Um, uh, what did that look like for you? What, what did you look for for Insight? And how did the roles work as you were v- uh, head of VP creative there? How'd you play together?
2: Wow. Um, Well, let's see. I'll kick it off. Um, You know, I think um, I think as a as a fashion or trend person, I always was. I mean, I was. I I still. I'm always searching. What's next? What's new? What's happening? What's working? What's old and tired and done? And you know, and creating and creating that and seeing what that is, and also understanding what Express was as a brand Mm -hmm. uh, and how to interpret those things that were right for express, right? So whether it's fashion or whether it was topography or whether yes, it was the it. voice, you we, we come at it from several different Yeah, places. the aesthetic, the mm-hmm. essence, yeah. all of that. And um, to bring that to express and continue to, and, and to drive that, daily, weekly. Um, I think the thing that I love about it the most is it changes all the time. Right. Right. And and being on it and being able to do that for a multi-billion dollar company right. for Express for years was like a gr- was great to do every day.
0: Right. And creatively, that had to be difficult because you said you have to realign with the brand. So you can look at trends yeah, and you yeah. can say, I love that, I love this, I love this, but those don't fit inside where Express needs to go. So you're wearing two lenses all the time, right? How would you approach it? Do you look at the large landscape? Is that what you would do, Sarah, and still do? And then say, how does it fit in? Or sometimes did you find things that were already in the brand and you wanted to push it? I mean- Did you go the other way too? Both. Okay.
2: You know, um, I did um, do trend forecasting <clears throat> mm-hmm. for years and I would travel Europe and, and all, the, all the shows and fabric markets and see, and see what's going. And it was, a, it was about bringing the pieces back that are right for the brand.
0: I love it. So it's the pieces that make up the stylistic theme Right. Don't look for just a category.
2: Right. Well, you can't make express Chanel. But you know, you can make you can take what express what Chanel's doing and, and do, take a piece of and that. Take a piece of that. You know, if and I mean, and that was product. I really didn't do product for Express, but interpreting, interpreting the things that were happening out there, whether it was happening in LA. LA is one of my favorite places. And, and I just feel so much, whether it's, whether you get music or whether you get a restaurant or whether you get, um, you know, see people on the street or, you know, it's, it, that's, I mean, if you can take your inspiration from anywhere. Right. It just is coming at you all the time.
0: Right. Right. That's very interesting. And what about you then, Jay, how, how did the same question kind of apply to you and yeah, your role? Yeah,
1: sure. I think to put it into context, I'll take a step back and just okay. explain to the listeners how we had structured the department. So, I had a CMO, uh, Jim Hilt, who is a really progressive thinker. And he, like, w- he came from the tech industry. So, he kind of worked his way into marketing through that. Right, And he always wanted to hear new ideas. And he was like, hey, Jay. And open to that. And he's like, I think all we, kinds of ideas. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, I think we need to rethink how we're creating because the objectives that we're trying to meet are different than they were when you, when the department was set up. So he's like, how would you think about this? And so, in my true kind of like fashion, I just looked at different organizations, highly functioning organizations, and I said, you know, just like Sarah said, take inspiration from different places. I was like. One of the most highly functioning organizations I can think of is the SEAL teams. And so I'm going to take the structure of the U.S. Navy SEAL teams and I'm going to apply it to creative as best I can. And so I pitched this idea of three different segments or three different teams, if you will, of our larger team. And that first one is to steal from the seals, the dev grew, the mm-hmm. development group. development, And these guys are the guys who test new equipment, they test new tactics, they put them into practice. Once they're proven, they move to the operators. And so, Sarah headed up, she was the creative director of that dev grew that okay. was really the brand team. Right. And so, you know, I relied on her to bring all the newness and bring all the ideas and then put them into practice in a small way. Once they were proven then they moved to another creative director, Jay Neth, who was kind of in charge of operationalizing it and bringing it to the market okay. in a big way. And then I also had a team that was headed by our mutual fund, Michelle Vesely. Yeah. And I called them the Night Stalkers, yeah. um, which is an appropriate name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Of course. It's because, perfect. you know, there's a. What else
0: would you call it? Yeah,
1: right. Because there's an aviation group that's a special operations aviation group called the Night Stalkers. Uh-huh. Um, and so. They were my support team and they were the ones who ran logistics. They ran the budget for me. They facilitated all of our production, right? So what it did was it freed up my true creatives who were like- To remain. Yeah. Who creative. were like my killers and yeah. my door kickers. Assassin. Like Sarah and Jay and uh, Brian and all these guys and, you know, girls that were on our team- they could do creative uh, because a lot of times in the corporate world, you're asking people to do more than kind of what their specialty is, um, which is fine to an extent. But we found that when we could put people into the proper roles, mm-hmm. everything just like shot up. The quality, the quantity, everything just And, and know, let's increased. talk from an
0: I love that. So, first of all, we're using um, um, militaristic, if you will, categories. And disciplines. Uh, you're creating a, a a way to discipline creatives, I mean, in a positive way.
2: Or set of the guardrails. The
0: guardrails, which is much needed <laughs> sometimes.
1: And also focus and edit point of those roles, right?
0: Why, why do you think this helps creatives? Enhan- why do you think you are enhancing creatives instead of inhibiting creatives?
1: You know, because I think that, again, our team had what I would call flow with each other. Mm-hmm. And because there was that flow and the trust, you know, people on the team understood, you know what, I don't need to worry about that other job. I, if, if I do my job right, I'm going to have the whole team succeed on this part of it. And it turned it into a thing where people did not want to fail at their role instead of worrying about what someone else's role was. And, and I think that empowerment of their individual role was the probably the juice behind it all. I don't know, Sarah, what do you think?
2: We were all trying to work together and do what we love. Mm-hmm. That's what made it work.
0: And I love that you guys refer to the team as Flow. Uh, a Russian professor teaching at Stanford created the theory called Flow Theory. There's seven steps to Flow Theory. I think he's now passed. Genius, of course, leave it to, you know, somebody else outside of the U.S. to think about happiness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Vodka drinking, gentlemen, <laughs> figures it out. Right. Yeah. But the point is, um, flow theory does just what you said. Um, we've used flow theory to help teach brand happiness inside cultures of brands that we create because they don't know how to do that. Uh, and part of it is discipline so that you can get lost Because um, you talked about flow and trust, flow and trust. That's jazz music.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: That's jazz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A jazz player doesn't want you to tell him what's next. He has to flow through trust or she Mm -hmm. to what's next, Mm -hmm. right? Feel it.
1: And feel it. Um, And Some of that is having the autonomy, the feeling of autonomy to do it. And I think that was the thing that was important to me. I know it was important to Sarah and the other directors where it's like, empower your team, get the right people, not necessarily the best people. The, I would the argue. The right
0: people. And Google would agree mm. with you. Um, mm. They don't go after rock stars anymore. We had that on a previous podcast. They look for second levels. Yeah. Because they try harder. They won't leave a ranger <laughs> behind. Right. Yeah. Right. And they'll flow through trust. Yeah. I. It's funny too. They be- don't
2: usually have the I mentality.
0: That's it. Right. Ego. What I we call me. the, yeah, the egocentric I.
1: There's, there's, Two types of C students, in my view. Well, yeah, one's called a toy maker. He's supposed (laughs) to be making a toaster. Uh We already know that. Yeah, but there are a heck of a lot of C students who just aren't buying into the system because they're free thinkers. Exactly. And we, when we were interviewing people, you know, I would always encourage my my team, like, look, find the C student, like somebody who's going to surprise you in a really good way, like somebody who's not going to be afraid of a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Because the trick with, that I found with, you yeah, know, I'm generalizing here, but the A students is you give them a blank sheet of paper and you say, I don't have much direction for you, but we need this result. A lot of times they're like, just tell me what to do and I will do it to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. It's like, I bet you will, but you can't get started you know, whereas a C-, C student's like, well, I never really listened to direction in the first place. So I'm just gonna start drawing, I'm right. just gonna start sketching. Right, and, right, right. And ideas form that way. Right, right, And that kind of autonomy, the confidence to have the autonomy that's given to you. Yes. Uh is is is, is it's almost gut. You know what I mean? It's it, like it you is. almost can't teach it no. because there are just so many people who are so skilled and they're so amazing at this job. But they can't start on their own, and you're right. just kind of like, boy, we it's it's we can't have that on our team. We right. need we need people who are gonna just go and start shaping things.
0: I love that, and and and, and you know we talk about all, all the time with brands that we're building this idea of agility, creative agility. You know, manufacturing agility has been around forever. Now, you know, we're talking about HR agility, which has been around quite a while. Mm-hmm. And the idea of creative creative agility that's always been there. But in the approach that you're talking about, about flow and trust and autonomy, because autonomy fuels that idea when you were talking about, you know, failing forward or what was your t-shirt?
2: Oh, yeah. Fail harder.
0: Fail harder. <laughs> that's That works with flow and mm-hmm. autonomy and trust, right? Because that you think, okay, it's going to be a soft place and I'm going to learn from this. So let's go. So I think it's great that you guys were able to... It sounds like you developed this very innovative subculture inside Express for your team. I mean, we,
1: it's interesting. That, it to yeah, say, yeah, totally. Say it, but- <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, we never really thought of it that way. Yeah. It, it was truly more about necessity where, okay. you know, people came to us and they're like, we need you to rethink things. And I threw this idea out to to you know, Sarah and Michelle and Jay, and they were kind of on board with it, and they like, we love this and we tweaked some things and we went back and pitched it. And then it just worked. It was, it was, it was just by looking at what other thing, you know, organizations did mm-hmm. and by accident kind mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. um, but we did grasp it really quickly. The team grasped it really quickly and we did love it. And so it's awesome to hear you as an outsider Learning about how we did things to be like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Because well, it is because people would write case studies around what you did. Well, no, <laughs> they write they, case they, no, studies they... around us. Trust me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are thirty-five yeah. words are on the back of a bottle of whiskey, Brad. Oh,
1: you should see our jacket with the FBI. <laughs> exactly. Oh man.
0: <laughs> but but my point is, you know, over the last ten years now they call that collision, right? Well, back in the day, it was just called improvisation. Before that, it was just called trust. Yeah.
2: And and I think the other thing is this process was with a very small team. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was corporate America, but I think for most corporate organizations of, of our size, mm-hmm. it was a small team.
1: We we had 54 people on the team. But the like, one thing you got to understand about that is we had our own photo studio that was separate from the home office and they were part of it. Okay. So the team was kind of split in half where there was about 25 people in the home office and about 25 people down in the photo studio. Very different needs, but working together towards the same results.
0: Yeah, I, I just, um, well, I'm, I'm so grateful we're talking about this because this will help so many brands. We're going to talk about other brands that are not that size and we can talk about how they might look at the world more tactical. And you guys might not have had the freedom to have that flow and trust and autonomy that you're bringing up. To me, what's important is that you guys rec- recognized it and exploited it positively for the growth of the brand, for the betterment of the investors and the company, because we're in the communication arts business. That's the business we're in. It, it's a wonderful accomplishment. I know you were in it for so long. It's probably hard for you to be objective and go back and look at it. It, it the is. The way that I'm framing it up with you right now. But I can tell you from being the outside in, it's a hell of a feat.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. I mean, some of it had to do with too, like we started in at the lowest level, right? Graphic designers in, you know, freelance Mm and marketing. Mm -hmm. And so we learned a lot about how leadership was kind of, in my view, doing it wrong Mm -hmm. for so long Mm -hmm. that when the time came for us to do it ourselves, we really took it, upon ourselves so we want it to change the culture mm-hmm. and we want it to be creative first. And we want it to release this black cloud of kind of creative oppression mm-hmm. on our creative team. So we didn't know any other way. We, it was just kind of, this is how we did it.
0: Yeah, and, and a lot of, you know, intellectuals would just call that, ac- you know, accidental genius,
1: <laughs> or, right?
0: Yeah. Or hard work that turns into something that, that you say, my God, I really made this after this many years.
2: A lot of times you find leaders who haven't done the work or, or, and they're just in a role giving direction. And sometimes people below them, if they know you're telling me something that you've never experienced. Done. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, one yes. of the biggest things too, that we kind of would ask people that we were interviewing is like, okay, you want a job at Express? What's your side hustle? And Damn right. the, moment, Damn right. the moment somebody said, well, I know I'm a retoucher. I'm interviewing for this retoucher, but you know, I have a side business of photography and as a hobby, I like to draw comic books. Right. Great. You're in. You're in <laughs> because, because you're a maker, because right. you're devoted. You can't help yourself, but right. to be a creator, it was the worst thing in the world to see somebody who had maybe an amazing portfolio. And what do you like to do? You know, I like to like hang out with my family and watch TV. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, like something a dog can do. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, you're not fully in it then. Like you, you don't, you you will not, you have, you have just now
0: been asked to leave the flow area.
1: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much.
0: (laughs) No, I totally, I love that you guys would ask that because that's the more important question. What do you do? Because you're passionate for it. That's That's right. That's what you want to
1: know. That's right. Right.